The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Without freedom of the press, no democratic form of government could exist. Good night and good luck. Good evening from our CBS newsroom in New York. NBC presents Chet Huntley and David Brinkley. From ABC, this is World News Tonight with Peter Jennings in London, Max Robinson in Chicago. When the press is free, the people of a country are free. When the press is not free, the people of a country are in danger of slavery. Keeping you informed with information, news, and the views of people making the news. It's the Nicole Sandler Show on NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. Ron DeSantis will never back down. He's a hero, not some godless clown. Less he gets in a slump or gets beaten by Trump, in which case he'll turn tail and leave town. And then back Trump to prove he won't back down. Oh, man. Yes. I don't think that makes sense. Uh, no. Thanks for listening. Uh, doesn't make sense. Thank you, Mangy Fetlocks. Anyway, hell of a weekend, huh? Um, let's see what happened. Well, uh, um, <laughs> to put it all in perspective, uh, Ron DeSantis. Let's start there because I've got, I've got the Miami Herald op-ed. Ron DeSantis stuck a fork in the campaign that we stuck a fork in, you know, months ago. And let me just say one thing. I told you so. Right at the beginning of of the political season, when uh, Ron DeSantis hinted that he was going to run uh, run for um, for president, and uh, people were worried because they said, "Oh, he he won re-election in Florida by a landslide." And I tried to explain to you then. See, this will teach you. Listen to me, because I told you. Um, uh, that Ron DeSantis was going to be another Scott Walker or worse. Remember Scott Walker, who was governor of Wisconsin, Wisconsin, when they um, did so much damage to, to the state. Uh, and then he fizzled out when he ran for president. Well, that's because there was no there there. And I told you DeSantis was worse, worse in terms of not having any personality, not having that, that he that he was an empty suit, that he had been a backbencher in Congress. Nobody knew who he was until, frankly, one thing that Trump said that was true was that DeSantis, um, you know, made him. Well, DeSantis did make him. DeSantis endorsed him and he was a big nothing. And it, it got his name out there. So people finally um, knew who he was, but it was based on lies. He didn't win re-election to the governor's office in Florida because he was any good at his job or because people liked him. No, it was because the Democrats stayed home because they're the candidate they were the choice they were given was DeSantis or Charlie Chris. Charlie Chris was the former Republican governor of Florida. And though I thought 
he'd be a better governor than DeSantis. That's not saying much. Um, but a lot of people simply stayed home. The uh, In terms of the number of votes, DeSantis didn't get more, many more than he got four years earlier. The reason there was a big gap is because the Democrats felt like they had nothing to vote for. And on top of that, uh, on top of that, the Democrats, um, uh, it, it, well, the Florida Democratic Party basically ceased to exist. So now the American public knows exactly what I was saying a few years ago. And yeah, no, uh, Rick Smith, you don't need to have charisma to be elected governor of Florida. I don't know what you need to have, but let me share with you what the Miami Herald wrote in their editorial yesterday because, oh, it was good. Oh, so good. DeSantis was supposed to save the GOP from Trump, not endorse him is the headline on this editorial from the Miami Herald, biggest newspaper in the state of Florida. You ready? Governor Ron DeSantis didn't save the Republican Party after all, or America for that matter. Two days before the New Hampshire primary election, DeSantis suspended his campaign for president on Sunday. As he exited, he endorsed former the former guy, of course, he had no choice. The Florida governor tried to sell voters the idea that he's just like Trump, but more electable, more reasonable, but but also more conservative. That didn't work because in the end, DeSantis's brand wouldn't exist without MAGA. DeSantis' departure from the Republican primary, which now leaves only Nikki Haley as a serious contender against Trump, marks the end of a political nosedive for our governor. Once viewed as the as the uh, strongest candidate who could end the Republican Party's addiction to Trump, he failed his trademark culture wars, anti-COVID vaccine stance and opposition to government mandated school closures weren't enough to persuade voters in other parts of the country to back him. With his presidential pitch gone and Trump's reemergence after his 91 criminal charges, DeSantis became a candidate without a cause. Hmm. It was clear he couldn't survive much longer, but DeSantis had vowed to stay in the race until Super Tuesday. His deflating 30-point loss to Trump in the Iowa caucuses last Monday had seemingly closed his path to the White House, and we all wondered, what was the point in staying in a losing race? In the video his campaign released announcing his decision, he fell in line with the party of Trump. Trump is superior to the current incumbent Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear. You mean semi-sane Republicans? Well, I guess you can't because they don't exist anymore. Uh, uh, but it continues. It's not just that he was steamrolled by Donald Trump. DeSantis never appeared to want to save the GOP. He was more interested in making it a more ravenous, angrier, and intolerant party. This is the Miami Herald speaking here, editorial board. Uh, that worked for Trump, but didn't work for the governor with all the charisma of burnt toast. <laughs> <laughs> they, they got him down. Um, so uh, the Miami Herald editorial continues. So now DeSantis' presidential campaign has ended. 
But the damage of the laws he has pushed through in Florida as he landed more appearances on Fox News will live on. Without his political ambitions, there likely wouldn't be, don't say gay, woke wars, and the waste of state resources to fight meaningless battles against drag queen bars. These were efforts to appeal to Trump's base, but his supporters refused to leave the former guy, especially after he was indicted. DeSantis's hard right stances on issues like abortion and the Ukraine war, which he once called a territorial dispute before walking that comment back, alienated moderate voters. In the end, DeSantis became a candidate without a lane. What an outcome for a Florida governor who had established himself as the dominant figure in state politics and who had the legislature under his thumb. In the past two years, lawmakers have given DeSantis most of his priorities, often with little vetting, resulting in laws that are ambiguous. Wait a minute. Oops. Whoops. Ambiguous and confusing. Uh, Wait a minute is right. Uh, Lost my my space. Ambiguous and confusing, uh, perhaps by design. With his aspiration, with his White House aspirations over, at least for now, because he could try again in 2028. No! Sorry. Um, DeSantis returns to the Sunshine State to finish the final three years of his second term. And aside, it'll be his first time back in Florida since he announced, or seemingly so, because we, you know, I never saw him, which, which, I don't think was necessarily a bad thing, you know, the, the less time he spent in the state, the better for Florida. Anyway, um, in hindsight, it is now clear the young governor who's only 45 was a man in a hurry, too much of a hurry, glorified by the media as Trump's heir apparent and buoyed by his legislative successes. DeSantis soon proved he wasn't ready for prime time. He refused to engage with mainstream media, a strategy that worked for him as governor until he felt forced to give more attention to outlets like CNN and network news. But that was too late. There was also a barrage of negative news coverage of his imploding campaign, rumors about whether he wore hidden height boosters in his cowboy boots, he did, and more than anything, his struggle to connect with voters. That's because there's no there there. Sorry, that's me again in, injecting into the into the uh, 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 editorial. DeSantis could have pitched a kinder form of conservatism. No, he couldn't. He wasn't. He he didn't have the the the, the anything to do that, or at least a more reasonable version. No, he couldn't because there's nothing reasonable about him. Instead, he banked on exploiting divisions in our country. As he bows out, DeSantis leaves the Republican Party exactly as he found it under Trump's dominance. And that is today's editorial in the Miami Herald. Yes, the largest newspaper in the state of Florida. And um, yeah. Hey, Ron, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. The thing is, I I left Florida. Thank goodness I'm not there anymore because now he's going back to impose more of his crap on the people there who should know better, but apparently don't. So um, that's the DeSantis thing. Now, there's a bunch of other stuff that happened this weekend, too, uh, including, um, well, Tim Scott got engaged. (laughs) 
He did. You know the um oh, did I close the window? Oh, I had a window with the engage. Oh, here, here's their picture. Maybe I can show this on the screen. I, I didn't. I only, I, I pulled the picture of, of, of Tim, uh, um, proposing on the beach on one knee. But here, here's a picture of the lovely couple, Tim Scott and what's her first name? I don't know, but Nose N O C E is her last name. Um, I'm gonna ask about. Uh, to the um, our guest coming up in a little while, whose book is uh, "Why Is Everything About Race?" If if this is an issue, the fact that that Tim Scott's <clears throat> fiance is is a white woman, uh, but more important to me than that is the beard. <laughs> I know she doesn't have a beard, but there are rumors. And the reason, when the minute I heard, oh, Tim Scott got engaged, oh, he wants to be vice president. Yeah. Right, Durbin just said in the chat room, great minds think a lot. Tim Scott's marrying his beard. So there's that. But let me tell you, before our guest gets here, the, today is a day of historical importance. It is the 51st anniversary of the Supreme Court's ruling on Roe v. Wade. That was the that was the ruling that said, yeah, abortion is legal, safe and legal for women in this country. So, you know, while Donald Trump is out there sort of bragging that he killed Roe, which I guess he did by his three um, uh, stolen Supreme Court seats. I, I, I put it that way because I can. Um, President Biden is now drawing a comparison with his Republican challenger. I'll just put it a challenger because, you know, Nikki Haley's not long for this world, but challengers, if you insist. Um, and I got to share some, some, um, some stuff with you because today President Biden and Vice President Harris are having an event and what they're doing is um, <clears throat> making good on their prob uh, promise to uh, make no-cost contraceptive more widely available um, and, and, and other uh, protections for abortion and contraceptive rights. So <clears throat> this happened just seriously, just moments ago in D.C. Freedom. I believe is fundamental to the promise of America. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom of assembly, the freedom to vote. In America, freedom is not to be given. It is not to be bestowed. It is ours by right. Yeah. That's by it. right. It is. And that includes the freedom to make decisions about one's own body. Hello. Not the government telling you what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Tell it. Come 51 on. years ago today, in the case of Roe v. Wade, the United States Supreme Court recognized the fundamental constitutional right to reproductive freedom. And for nearly half a century, Americans relied on the freedoms 
protected by Roe. Mm -hmm. However, 19 months ago, the highest court in our land, the court of Thurgood and RBG, took a constitutional right from the people of America, from the women of America. And now, on the 51st anniversary of Roe, we speak of it in the past tense. Amazing, isn't it? Just amazing. But uh, there's more. I want to share with you yet another, if I can find, uh, my, 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 my things are all messed up here. So bear with me here because there's, there's other clips here. Um, I want to share this clip. Jen Klein from the Obama administration here. Um, so to your question, is there... Oh. Oh, come on. Come on. Anything left to do? I think the answer is yes. Um, And today, when the president convenes his task force, you will see um, actions in a few more areas. They do build on um, the uh, executive orders that he has already released. So just to outline what um, a little bit more about those, what those policy actions uh, today will be. You know, first um, on contraception, uh, there will be new guidance to support expanded coverage of a broader range of contraceptives at no cost under the ACA. Um, The Secretary of Health and Human Services will also issue a letter to private insurers, state Medicaid programs, and Medicare to reinforce their obligations to cover affordable contraception. On emergency care, um, they will be, HHS will be announcing a comprehensive plan to educate patients about their rights under the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, known as EMTALA, and the process for filing a complaint and uh, also disseminate training materials for healthcare providers, convene those providers to ensure that they know how to comply with EMTALA and also establish an expert team at HHS to help uh, hospitals and healthcare providers comply with those uh, legal obligations under EMTALA. Um, And last piece is um, we will take additional steps um, to implement the presidential memorandum on medication abortion um, to protect the safety and security of patients, providers, and pharmacies who need, prescribe, or dispense medication abortion. Okay, so so that was yet another uh, of the, um, uh, her name is Jen Klein. She is with the Biden administration detailing uh, guidance on contraception and medication abortion on this, the 50th anniversary of the uh, the, 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 the Roe v. Wade decision by the Supreme Court that legalized abortion 51 years ago. Now, um, yes, Joe Biden himself. I on, spoke. That, on that day. Whoops. He said, what? What did you say? Hold on. Hold on. Day that Roe was overturned. <laughs> him again. The health and lives of women in this nation would now be at risk. And that has unfortunately proven to be true. They've been at risk. It made them at risk, put them at risk. Today, in 2024, in America, women are turned away from emergency rooms. They are. Forced to travel hundreds of miles to get basic health care in another state that may have a different rule. Forced to go to court to plead for help. Thanks to the mothers of two in Texas, a mother of two in Texas who was pregnant with her third child. From her doctor, she received the news that no one wants to hear. 
the life of the child and her own life were at risk if she continued her pregnancy. But instead of being able to receive care from her doctor, she was blocked by the state of Texas Attorney General and the state Supreme Court. Think about that. As she and her family were going through the frightening, heartbreaking ordeal, she had to fight extreme politicians in the court. They turned a deeply private and painful matter into a public matter. She ultimately had to leave the state to get the help she needed to protect herself and her ability to have more children in the future. Her cruelty is astounding. <laughs> An affront to a woman's dignity being told by extreme politicians to wait to get sicker and sicker no, to the point kidding. where her life may be in danger before you can get the care you need. That cruel reality is a result of extreme Republicans who for years have made it their mission to end Roe v. Wade. And they did. They ended Roe v. Wade. Um, and that, uh, you know, and I don't think that was their goal all along. I think that was that was uh, some goals. That was that was. Uh, Trump's goal, but the party didn't expect it. Oh, hold on, I want to get past this commercial. Then we'll bring on President Biden again. Doctors are feeling they're fleeing their home states because of laws that would send them to prison for providing evidence-based health care. In states like Texas, doctors can get a life sentence, a life sentence a life for providing sentence. the care they were trained to provide. It's outrageous. Do you think? It's simply outrageous. And frankly, this is just the beginning. My congressional Republican friends are going even further. Further extremes undermine a woman's right to threaten and threatening the lives of women. Three different Republican members in the United States Congress have proposed three different additional national bans to criminalize health care in every state. Let me tell you what they are. One is a zero-week ban with absolutely no exceptions. A zero-week ban with absolutely no exceptions. The second is a six-week ban. The penalty for violating it is jail. Wow. The third is a 15-week ban. The penalty is a five-year prison sentence. That means even if you live in a state where the extremist Republicans are not running the show, your right to choose, your right to privacy would still be at risk if this law would pass, any these were passed nationally. And the extreme right is trying to limit all women in America from getting safe and effective medication approved by the Federal Drug Administration over 20 years ago yep. based on the FDA's independent expert judgment. They're trying to block women from getting this medication even in states where abortion is legal. Amazing. And on top of all of that, if you live in a state where you cannot get this care you need, and you make a plan to travel into a state where you can get the medicine, Republicans officially are trying to stop that as well. Of course they are, because that's what they do. Now, again, I, I always thought that the quest of the right to overturn Roe v. Wade was was a, was a straw man. They, you know, they would use it to raise money. They would use it to campaign on, but they never really expected it to ever happen. And along comes Donald Trump, who doesn't understand <clears throat> the intricacies of political posturing, doesn't understand that it was a great issue to raise funds, but to do it, absolutely to do it, to overturn Roe v. Wade and criminalize abortion, that that might cost them some votes. 
So uh, that's what we've seen in the in the ensuing couple of years since the Supreme Court did that. Um, gee, Republicans are losing elections. And today, on the 51st anniversary of Roe, Roe, the Roe v. Wade uh, opinion by the Supreme Court that made abortion legal, um, the Biden administration is standing up and saying, uh, you, you know, what they did was so wrong. They're criminalizing women's health care. They're criminalizing doctors and nurses doing their jobs. They're criminal. They're threatening women with jail. Not only for, you know, deciding after six weeks when they finally find out they're pregnant that, that that this is just not the right time for them or for their families or for them financially. And they had the legal right to end the pregnancy before it was long before it was ever viable. It's that, that that's not enough. So, um, uh, <laughs> But but what's what's even more egregious, what's so disgusting is one of the things that uh, President Biden just spoke about in that last clip, which was, you know, women or her having uh, miscarriages, which go figure happens, happens fairly often, more often than we'd like to think um, being prosecuted. This one woman, thankfully, I think it don't don't quote me on this. I think it was Ohio, but I could be wrong. Who had a miscarriage and she was charged with a felony of mistreating a corpse or she had to do a miscarriage on the toilet. I'm like, God, for a woman, I can't imagine much that's worse than having a miscarriage, but then to be prosecuted for it. Disgusting. So we have a chance, you and I, to uh, turn things around, to Fix the situation as well. Well, you, you, you know, hopefully, uh, President Biden will get to replace um, Clarence Thomas or Joseph Alito on the Supreme Court. That would be nice. Um, hopefully, he'll get to uh, appoint a justice or three. Um, but uh, the overturning the overturning of Roe is is going to be a generational uh, effort much as it's, it was 51 years ago today, that we got the right. Go figure. All right. Um, uh, we're going to change topic here for a second, not for a second, in a second, uh, because I see my guest has arrived. And, you know, this, this also goes to, to um, questions of race. And, and I guess, look, we could take almost any topic that affects everyone here in the United States and say, well, um, is this about race? And I think my guest, well, my guest's book uh, poses the question, why does everything have to be about race? And um, so I, I want to welcome to the program Keith Boykin. Uh, hi, Keith. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Keith is a New York Times bestselling author, TV and film producer, former CNN um, uh, commentator. Uh, his new book, which is out tomorrow, is called Why Does Everything Have to Be About Race? 25 Arguments That Won't Go Away. Keith Boykin, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. So uh, this is an important question. And, and I think, um, as I just said a moment ago, any question of 
importance, personal importance, or cultural importance, you can you can ask, is this about race? And um, uh, maybe some things that maybe to me don't seem like they're about race definitely do to you. Uh, just you know, um, well, we'll I'll get into further, but. Uh, is it a, is it a matter of perspective or or is it something that white people need to embrace as well? That, yes, race is still an important conversation that apparently we've no, we've not we're not in a post-racial society like so many people said we were when President uh, Obama was elected. Well, I think that's exactly right, Nicole. Race is foundational to who we are as a country. Our country was founded on racist principles, which is something we don't like to talk about. We talk about, as, as Nikki Haley did, yep. for example, recently, that all men are created equal, according <laughs> to the Declaration of Independence. Well, when Thomas Jefferson wrote those words, Jefferson himself was an enslaver with hundreds of slaves. Uh, and Jefferson also raped his black slave, Sally Hemings. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a history of George Washington, who was also an enslaver, who enslaved hundreds of people. Uh, and um, there's a whole sordid story about America and its foundings so from the Constitution with the idea that black people were three-fifths of a of a of a person in for the purposes of the uh, U.S. Constitution and apportionment, uh, all the way up to the Dred Scott decision uh, in 1856 or 1857 that, that black people weren't even entitled to citizenship in this country. Uh, then we have a, we fight a civil war over the issue of slavery for four years that ends up with the assassination of the president. Uh, we have Reconstruction amendments to give black people some basic rights to vote and citizenship uh, and, and uh, equal protection text of the laws and the end slavery and then we go right back into where we were before. The, the period of Reconstruction is about 12 years, and we're, we're right back into lynching and terrorism and the deprivation of rights and state-sanctioned segregation and racial mm-hmm. discrimination, which goes on for another century. And then we don't even get to, to something called democracy in this country until about 1964, 1965, I'd say, actually, when the Civil Rights Act is passed in 64 and the Voting Rights Act is passed in 1965. So we've had this country for hundreds of years where black people did not even have the right to participate in the democracy. Women, of course, did not have the right to participate for a hundred and more years as well. And there are a lot of people who have been disenfranchised and not included in this society. And race is a critical part of this. Uh, that's what we we have realized. Uh, we've, we've always known this, but it's become clearer and clearer after Obama was elected, that people were suddenly so fearful of this changing of the changing demographics of America that there was this there was a, a resurgence of open racism. Racism, I believe, has always been there, but the openness of it has just dramatically increased. We that's the reason why why Barack why uh, Donald Trump became popular in the first place. He spent five and a half years lying about Barack Obama's birth certificate. That's right. That's right. That's what made him a political figure. It's astounding when you you put it in those terms, but it's absolutely true. Do you think, and what I think is, uh, yes, the racism was always there. Donald Trump gave the racists permission to spew it openly because he did it. And they're like, it's almost like, oh, we're free to say all the, the disgusting things that we're thinking, but we knew better than to say out loud. 
Yeah, and in some ways, you know, it's odd to say this. I think he might have done us an odd sort of favor because he exposed the reality that a lot of black people have been complaining about for years, that there is racism in this country, but people had swept it under the rug, so we, mm-hmm. we couldn't really identify it. And now they're coming out and saying it boldly and openly, so it's not as hidden. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a sad state of affairs, but the reality is that you can't expect a society with 320, 330 million people to change immediately just because someone passes a law. If we don't have a conversation on what the purpose of those laws were, why did we have a Civil Rights Act of 1964, a Voting Rights Act of 1965, or a Fair Housing Act of 18, of 1968? It, there has to be a discussion about these things. There has to be a discussion about why we have had every single president in our country's history, except for one, has been a white man. Yeah. And white men are 30% of the population. That that doesn't happen because there's a meritocracy, as as people like to say. There's no meritocracy. There's never been a meritocracy in America. It's whoever can be elected within or selected from a particular position within a small group of people who are considered eligible, usually white men, end up getting the jobs. So we have to start analyzing that and discussing that honestly and not trying to sweep it under the rug as Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump and so many others have been trying to do. So you just mentioned a few people who've been in the news in the last few days. Let's start with Ron DeSantis, because I just moved out of Florida. I, I was born in New York. My family moved to Florida when I was a kid, went through middle school and uh, high school and college in Florida and then left. Uh, I moved to New York. I went out to California, lived there, but I moved back to Florida um, like in 2004, uh, mistakenly, but I did. And so finally, Ron DeSantis was the final straw for me. The things that this man did were so egregiously disgusting, distasteful. I mean, I, I could I could use stronger terms, but I, I will uh, bite my tongue a little bit. But it got to the point where I could not be there. Things that so now we live in Arizona, which is 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 trending bluer as Florida has gone, you know, scarlet red. Um, and now DeSantis is going home and he's going home to a state that is so messed up mostly because of the stuff that he put through we had the don't say gay bills we had his war on woke which what the i i I, it's so so uh insulting but the his his criminalization or attempt to of uh you know of of being black you can't so so he one of the things he did was cancel an AP high school curriculum in African-American studies because he didn't think that that deserved a a curriculum of its own. He didn't think it was enough of a topic to provide for a, a, a group of courses in the subject. And he just killed it. And then he said, you can't teach CRT in our schools. Well, first of all, my, I, I always, anytime someone would comment on it to me, I would say, what does CRT mean? What is critical race theory? Tell me. And they can't. This was a, 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 a war on black people in Florida. He tried to do away with the one dominant black uh, district in the state. I mean, it, everything. And Florida has, has a pretty big African-American community. Ron DeSantis, 
I guess there was a reason for him to be out of the state for so many months, because if he wasn't, he probably would have gotten run out of the state. Mm. Well, yeah, and I lived in Florida as well for several years. I, I have, my family is from Florida, and uh, I went to high school in Clearwater, Florida. Oh, did you? And I, I went to USF. Right. I went to University oh, of yeah. South Florida. Right in Tampa. Tampa. Right. Exactly. And I, and, I, um, and I lived in Miami for five years. So I, I've seen the transformation in, in, in Florida in the course of my lifetime. Um, and it's sad that we've gotten down to this point now where Ron DeSantis is destroying the state for his political ambitions. I mean, not only uh, in the issues that you mentioned, but starting with COVID. His failure to to respond uh, adequately to the COVID crisis and to diminish that, uh, then and, and that disproportionately affected Black people, of yes. course. Uh, then we get to the issue of voting rights. They, they they've been trying to restrict voting rights for African Americans, yep. even when the state voters selected to to allow. Uh, this is an issue that's not race specific, but disproportionately affects Black people. Uh, former felons, felons to vote absolutely. Uh, the 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 DeSantis administration came back and, and tried to destroy that. They they made you jump through hoops just to prove that you were eligible to vote, even though the law required the state to allow you to vote. And then, then, then went ahead and, and yes, and arrested people who were uh, told by the election supervisors in whatever county they lived that yes, they had the right to vote, and he still had them arrested. And then he he started this this his own personal police force to enforce his election laws. That's exactly right. He's arresting people. Um, not only that, in, in some jurisdictions, he's been removing prosecutors, uh, black prosecutors mm -hmm. who have been duly elected by their constituents uh, in their in their in their uh, represent, re representative areas uh, and just taking away the rights of local control that Republicans say that they believe in. And then you get to the whole issue of this war on woke, the attack on critical race theory, the attack on AP African-American history, uh, the whole attack on Disney and all these other yep. issues that he's been wasting taxpayer dollars to, to, to fund his political ambitions, even sending uh, planes from Florida to Texas to pick up migrants, to ship them to Massachusetts and California. At, at to Martha's expense. Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard. That was his stunt. Exactly. Uh, there's no justification for that, except for the fact that he was so invested in this presidential campaign, which he was never going to win anyway. Uh, he was willing to 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 basically fleece the taxpayers of the state of Florida to pursue his right wing political agenda. And it didn't work for him, you know, because Trump is already bad enough. And you know, if, you, if you're not willing to stand up to him. You're only going to be a second tier Trump and people, if they can get the real, real thing, they're not going to take a, a, an invitation for, no, for the public. Of course not. No, of course not. And then the thing is, so he pulls out of the race yesterday and immediately endorses Trump. There's it, it, the whole thing is so um, distasteful. We'll put it that way. So so Ron DeSantis will now slink out of the American consciousness because he will not even be picked as Trump's VP candidate. Uh, he he just won't. He's gonna he's gonna go off into obscurity like Scott Walker before him, um, and good riddance. I hope he's gone. My my husband thinks he's gonna try to, um, you know, the Florida legislature is in session now. He's gonna try to push through something that would allow him to you know run for a third term, because you know these people think they have got all the power in the world like Trump. Um, but so something else happened this weekend. Tim Scott got engaged. 
Uh, Tim Scott also wanted to be president. He's from South Carolina, same state as Nikki Haley, um, same state as Lindsey Graham. There are people, Tim Scott is 58 years old, never had a, you know, a serious relationship. But now that there, there's a chance that he's being floated as a, as a possible vice presidential contender, he gets married, he gets engaged. Do you, do you find any trouble with this? And, and let me ask you another question that may or may not have any, any um, bearing on it. It's a white woman. Does that make a difference? Well, Tim Scott, first of all, was never running for president. He was running for <laughs> vice was, president, right? He was running for vice president, like so many of the other candidates, because he was unwilling to criticize Donald Trump for his many crimes and abuses. Uh, he wouldn't even criticize Donald Trump when Donald Trump posted a video on Twitter uh, of white people chanting white power. Yeah. And Tim Scott was asked about this by Jay Tapper on CNN. And Jay Tapper said, I'm offended and I'm white. And Tim Scott, the only black Republican in the United States Senate, <laughs> couldn't bring himself to say that he was offended by Donald Trump posting a white power video. That's just how how low he's sunken. He's fallen to this sunken place, Tim Scott. And so when he went to uh, New Hampshire and gave his ringing endorsement of Donald Trump, uh, it was just embarrassing. Yes. I mean, I mean, here's a guy. You, you, first of all, you're supposed to be running against him just a few days before. And now suddenly you're you're sucking up to him in the worst possible way. America needs Donald Trump, and it's just, he was just right here. It, I've got I've got a little bit of it because for those who didn't hear it, it's. It's pretty um, my, my description of it, because I have to, you know, I pull the audio, I have to label it somehow. And I wrote Tim Scott in New Hampshire pukes Donald Trump's Hello, support. Hello, New Hampshire! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Clearly, yeah. but but you know he was a cheerleader. His role that day was to be a cheerleader, and yep. he chose that role apparently because I've never seen any of the other candidates who've spoken in favor of Donald Trump or endorsed him embarrass themselves in the way that Tim Trump, Tim, um, excuse me, uh, Tim Scott did, <laughs> yes. and. I don't really care who Tim Scott marries, if he wants to get married. That's not really any of my business. Um, it, it's apparent, though, that the Republican Party does not like the idea of nominating somebody who's black mm. uh, to, the, to be the, the, the representative for a president. They certainly don't like the idea of nominating a black person who they think might be gay. Right. And so... Uh, I don't know what Tim Scott's sexual orientation is. If he says it's true, I'll take him at his word. But it does behoove him to prove that to the Republican Party base and to Donald Trump in particular uh, in any way he can. So I, 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 I hope that's not the reason why he's getting engaged. I don't really even want to speculate about that. I've seen it before. I've seen, we saw it in Florida. Look, Charlie Crist, who you know ran against um, uh, DeSantis, all there's been the rumors forever, but you know, whatever. I don't, I don't care about a person's sexuality unless they're an elected official who actively works to harm the, the LGBTQ 
uh, community. And when and when that's the case, then I do have a problem. If you're a closeted homosexual and you're you're working to hurt your you know hurt anybody, but especially your community. But um, so uh, what's his name? Charlie Crist also got married right before the election because Republicans like married people and they don't really like gays. And sure enough, as soon after he got divorced, it just happens. And it's, it, you know, I call it out because I can. Um, and whatever, I hope he's happy. I hope they're really in love and they're getting married for the right huh. reason. I just, I doubt. Then there's Nikki Haley. Let me ask you about Nikki Haley. So sure. she's not African-American, but she is a woman of color um, who, who also, you know, said that, uh, well, said that, said this. We're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country. Our goal is to make sure that today is better than yesterday. Are we perfect? No. I know I faced racism when I was growing up, but I can tell you today is a lot better than it was then. Today's better than it was then. uh, Yeah. uh, She she really misses the point there. I mean, first of all, Tim Scott has also made a statement that America is not a racist country. He said that very emphatically on uh, several occasions. Uh, And a lot of politicians, I I think they pay lip service to this idea that America is a better country than it was before. I'm not convinced that's still true in the Trump era. But what's most disturbing is that Nikki Haley goes one step farther. She says, not only does she say that America is not currently a racist country, she can make an argument about that. I would disagree with her, but she can make an argument. But she says that America has never been a racist country. Yeah. A country where racism was built into the foundation of who we are, then the Constitution that, that enabled slavery. Right. The fact that we fought a civil war about slavery and that her state, but South she Carolina, was say. the first to secede from the Union. <laughs> right. But she wouldn't say the Civil War was about slavery. So obviously course, there's right. some blinders on there. But do you think the Republican Party would elect, I know they won't elect a black gay uh, president, would they elect, elect a, 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 a an Indian American president? president? Well, I mean, the Republican Party, you know, I, I say this a lot about black people in the Republican Party. The Republican Party loves black people who love white people. And, and by that, I mean, not necessarily who you are in a relationship with, but people who won't necessarily represent their own in interest of their own people, but people who will suppress the, the needs of the black community instead uh, represent the interest of white supremacy. Uh, and the same is true for Nikki Haley, that, that this is what the Republican Party expects of. If you're going to be a person of color in the Republican Party, you have to be all in. You have to prove yourself beyond any reasonable doubt. You don't, you're not working for, quote unquote, the other team. Right. And I remember back in the day, Barney Frank used to give a speech about gay Republicans. And I, I, I found it kind of appropriate to what's going on with people of color Republicans as well. And, and he said the problem he had with gay Republicans is that they spent all their time trying to sell Republicanism to gay people and not enough time trying to sell gay people to the Republican <laughs> Party. And I feel the same thing is true with Nikki Haley and, and Tim Scott and black people and people of color who are Republicans. And they're so busy trying to convince other people of color that they're not sellouts, that, that they should also join the Republican Party. And they're not doing any work within that party to convince the party to change, to be more representative and inclusive of people of color. That's where they need to be focusing their energy, not in chastising 
criticizing other people for being on the quote unquote democratic plantation. So, you know, one of the arguments I talk about in the book, you know, the book debunks 25 Mm-hmm. toxic, racist arguments. One of the arguments I talk about is this whole idea that the Republicans are the party of Lincoln. Right. <laughs> I mean, Republicans haven't been the party of Lincoln for decades. Mm-hmm. Definitely not since Lyndon Johnson, excuse exactly. since um, well, Lyndon Johnson yeah. was president and Barry Goldwater was nominated to run against him. And Barry Goldwater voted against the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And then the Republicans nominated him to be their their standard bearer in, that, right. in that campaign. Uh, and Republicans have known this for six decades now that, that they don't really want black folks, except to the extent they can steal a few from the Democratic candidates so they could depress the black turnout um, for Democrats. But they're really trying to appeal to white voters. Uh, and and that has been their base. The yes. majority of white people who voted in the 2016 and 2020 elections voted for Donald Trump. Because they knew that Donald Trump was the candidate who was going to represent white interests. And the majority of white people did not vote for Barack Obama in either of his two presidential elections. Wow. You see, and that, I, I mean, I, I know those things. And when you say them out loud, it still stuns me um, because it shouldn't be that way. The, the, you know, and, and, and it, I've been looking through the 25 arguments. That's the subtitle of the book, 25 Arguments That Won't Go Away. The book is, Why Does Everything Have to Be About Race? Well, why is because, you know, uh, even though we thought we might have been past that, we've learned so much since in the Trump era that everything everything is about race still. We we think we're better than that. We think we're past that, but we're not. And I'm looking over your 25 things, and look, even the most enlightened among us have a lot to learn. It was some years ago, but on this show, I've been doing this for a long time. On this show, I was going through a particularly rough financial, uh, you know, uh, time in my life and depression and all that. And, um, Someone hit me with a white privilege thing. I'm like, I'm anything but privileged. And I just couldn't get it. I didn't understand it. And what you write here is even the poorest white people have white privilege. Took me a while to grasp that. But it's real. We've lived with we live in a white society. Um, it's no nobody has to think twice about the white man being elected president or even the white woman, even though she hasn't been yet. Uh-huh. But the black man or woman, yeah, that, that for some reason that is not just a given. Um, there is. Can you explain what what you say? What you feel white privilege is? That's that's a great question, and. Um I quote Peggy McIntosh in the book to talk about this invisible knapsack, which is what she describes white white privilege as being. It's like this array of benefits and privileges that you carry around with you in this invisible knapsack that you're not even aware of because part of the white privilege, you don't have to be aware of it. Um, but it means that if you raise your hand in New York City to try to get a taxi cab on the street, the taxi driver is more likely to pick you up than a black person who is similarly situated. It means that if you walk into a department store, you're less likely to be followed by a security guard than than a black person who's similarly situated. It means that if you're pulled over by the police, a traffic stop, you're less likely to be killed, less likely to be arrested, less likely to be threatened um, or have your your safety jeopardized because of of your race. It means that when you apply for a job, 
that your name, your name or your face is less likely to have a negative impact on your ability to, to get that job. And it means that when you apply for a promotion, you are more likely to receive that promotion than someone who is black. Now, Having said all this, that doesn't mean that every white person has economic privilege over right. every black person. And that's why I think people get these things confused. You know, of course, Oprah Winfrey and Beyonce and Jay-Z have billions of dollars that's and right. they have a lot more privilege than almost most almost any poor white person on the planet or middle class white person even for that matter. But that's an economic privilege. That's right. And that privilege comes with benefits and also comes with consequences because of their race, which means that they cannot access the same privilege that other white people can just by being themselves. Because if they are not identifiably who they are in a public space, they're still subject to being discriminated against because of their race. Mm -hmm. That's the issue that people forget. Uh, and privilege is a relative concept. Every person has privilege. Even in America, even the poorest people in America, which is a hard thing to say because we have a lot, we have a big problem with poverty in our country. But even some of the poorest people in our country have some sort of privilege over other people in other countries who don't have some of the oh. benefits that we have. I have privilege as a even as a as a black person. I have privilege because I'm a man. Uh, and a cisgender man at that. And that creates sort of, sort of a, a privilege that I have versus other people who don't necessarily have that privilege in society. So part of it is just understanding where your privilege lies relative to other people uh, and not to deny that you have don't have suffering on your own. The last part of this is connecting this to this concept of economic anxiety. Remember when, when Trump was first elected in 2016, Excuse me, was it 20? Yes, 2016. I lost track. Yes. It seems like forever ago. I know. But when, <laughs> when Trump was first elected in 2016, um, there was a lot of talk that he was elected solely because of economic anxiety, that white Americans, uh, white working class Americans were just frustrated because the economy wasn't doing well. We just gone through the Great Recession and they wanted somebody who's going to fix those things and, and stand up for the little guy. Well, you know, the reality is that Working class voters have never really abandoned the Democratic Party. Oh, that's the perception that people put out there. White working class voters have abandoned the Democratic Party. But people of color who are working class voters have not. And part of the reason why is because the Republican Party and the conservative values that it espouses, quote unquote conservative values it espouses, are actually giving a property right in whiteness to these white people. There is a white privilege that they are attaching to it. I write about the, the property right and whiteness because one of my professors, Derek Bell from Harvard Law School, who's the founder of the critical race theory movement, he writes about this concept. He wrote about this decades ago, the idea that even poor white people still have this privilege because their whiteness gives them some sort of benefit in society. If I go to sell my home, I am less likely to get a as much money for selling my home or get a high, highly appraised value for right. this home if I am identifiably black. Right. And so there's this, there's this practice called whitewashing where a lot of black homeowners are doing this, where we have to basically scrub any evidence of our identity yeah. from our homes in order to sell our homes. And there's sometimes a two, three, $400,000 difference in how much the home is valued based on the identity of the owner. 
Yeah, I'm not surprised by this because I know the story. I remember when this made news a few years back. And um, yeah, if there's any inkling that the owner is black, the family is black, the the house appraised for less and it's sold for less. It's just... It, unconscionable. It's just horrible. But these that's the reality, and that's why you wrote the book. Keith Boykin is our guest. It's why does everything have to be about race? 25 arguments that won't go away. We're coming up at really close to the end of the hour. I just want to ask, you mentioned your professor was one of the people behind the critical race theory, which is a college-level, like, graduate-level field of study, right? Can you, for, once and for all, tell these idiots who are screaming about critical race theory in our public schools that that's, it, first of all, it wouldn't be horrible if it was uh, modified for their age group, but that's not what's being taught in our schools. Well, that's right. Um, and it's it's not complicated, but they've made it complicated right. because the truth is what they're concerned about is not critical race theory, it's no. American history. That's right. And um, I took a critical race theory course in law school at Harvard. Derek Bell was a professor. Um, I actually have a video. Uh, there was a video that uh, one of the local news stations from Boston came in and did. I, I saw it a few years ago. I was really shocked to see this. But um, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reflection of just how innocuous it was. Even at the time, it was just a discussion about the ways in which race is used in the law. That's where it started. Right. Uh, and so we were reading legal journals about uh, desegregation strategies and intersectionality and legal concepts that are not anywhere near uh, accessible to grade school kids. Uh, but people have perpetuated this mythology that somehow critical race theory is just is infesting, uh, in, infested uh, our public schools, and 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 all these woke teachers are are uh, using this theory in their classrooms. First of all, it's not one theory; it, it's a it's a combination of different thoughts about the way in which race is used in society. But secondly, and this is the most important point, as I was alluding to earlier. That what people are really complaining about when they talk about critical race theory, whether it's Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump or anybody else, is they're talking about the about American history. They don't want to show the history of Thomas Jefferson uh, or George Washington or even Abraham Lincoln or the or state even of Texas. Martin Luther King, for that matter. Or, they're pulling well, yeah. the I, black they're, they're, figures they're out, of, out of the history books, right? They, they want to erase the black history, the contributions of black people, and they want to sanitize the white history, the contributions of white people. And, and that's what's so, so lethal about this. Uh, when, when Donald Trump just a few days ago was complaining that they, uh, they were removing the names from these military forts, and, and those, those are the forts where we fought the, the world wars out of. First of all, we didn't fight we world did wars out of these forts. <laughs> no, we didn't. But, but, but secondly, I mean, my mom lived at Fort Hood in Texas for several years. Her husband was in the military, named after racist uh, white segregationist. Um, Why should black people, the military has a disproportionate percentage of black people. Why should people of color, why should other people be subjected to to glorifying these these? Confederate soldiers, these racist traitors, these um, segregationists who believed in white supremacy. Why should the federal government be spending our federal dollars to support that? And why is the Republican Party that calls itself the party of Lincoln invested in trying to protect the names of these people who were racist traitors who fought against Lincoln? 
So there's a lot of history that they don't want to talk about. And so they want us to pretend that America is just this wonderful place where everybody's been, everything's been perfect. The only problem is not that there was racism or sexism or homophobia or anything else. The problem is that all these people came along in the 60s and 70s and started complaining about it and talking about it. <laughs> we didn't have a problem when people were talking about it. So when they say make America great again, what they're saying is they want to go back to some time in the past when they think America was great. But for those of us who are black, for people who are color, for immigrants, for women, for LGBTQ people, there really was no time in the 50s or 40s or any time before civil, the civil rights movement when America was great for us because we didn't have those privileges. Even though we fought in World War I, we fought in World War II, we still came home and were treated as second-class citizens. I, I hear you loud and clear, and I'm, I'm so glad you wrote the book. Why does everything have to be about race? And, and um, it's not even a question. Because it is. It's an underlying reality in this country. And I'll tell you something else. And I didn't want to get into it. And we're already in overtime. Sorry, I've kept you a little longer. Oh, sorry. The, okay. the, the, um, uh, you know, I'm a Jewish um, person. And the anti-Semitism is on the rise like I've never seen. I'm 64 years old. And never in my life have I seen anything like what's going on now. And you know what? The Jews and the blacks have a... A connection because uh, the Jews fought alongside uh, African-Americans during the civil rights movement. And um, I always saw that connection. But now it seems like this society or maybe the Trump era has got us all at each other's throats. And, um, you know, I lived in L.A. when Rodney King was beaten. And, uh, uh, you know, why can't we just all get along? This is the question that that keeps coming up. And, and hopefully your book will answer a lot of questions for people who need to hear the answers and need to have the discussions. Um, you ask a lot of important questions here, 25 topics. All, each one of them could make for their own show. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of uh, worthy topics to talk about all under the heading of why does everything have to be about race? Keith Boykin, what a pleasure it is to meet you. Thank you so much. Um, uh, really enjoyed talking with you and, and I'm enjoying the book. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. All right. You have a great day. I'm sure you do. The book is out tomorrow. So everybody tomorrow comes get out. It. <laughs> you can pre-order it online today and, and get your book. There you go. Congratulations and, and good luck with it. And thank you for being here. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Uh, Keith Boykin, everyone. Uh, he's got a link tree that has all of his, um, uh, you know, websites and di different places where you can read his stuff. He's written a bunch of books. He's edited a bunch of books. Very smart man. I know I had seen him on CNN before, but I really wasn't that familiar with him. But the book is fascinating. And, um, yeah, you know, important discussions to be had. Tomorrow, we will also do important things um, and have a little fun while we're at it. Bruce W. Nelson, better known to many of us as Mangy Fetlocks, will be my guest. So um, yes, uh, good times on tap for tomorrow, I'm sure. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great night, afternoon, evening, morning, wherever you are. Uh, I guess I know Muttley was in the chat room. Uh, Muttley's in Australia where it's morning, so you never know. All right. Peace out.